We are in the middle of, well, actually the last sermon of our series uh, that just helps people understand not, what, not only what the kingdom is about, but what we believe and how we function uh, in understanding uh, what we believe God's kingdom is about. Uh, and so the, the, the three things that we talk about, that we have talked about, and if you haven't uh, been here for the last few weeks, that, that's okay, uh, but I would encourage you to listen online as uh, each message is stacked on one another. Uh, so we first talked about this idea of gathering, why we gather as a community, like why, why do you show up on a Sunday morning to, to sing these songs and to listen to me or someone else just speak about something and, and we gather downstairs, like why do we do that? And, it, and it's so important for us to understand uh, why we actually gather. But then we move on to say that we don't just gather for the purpose of gathering. Uh, we gather in order for us to grow in our faith with God, and, and that always begins with worship. Uh, drawing intimacy in, in knowledge, uh, not just knowledge, but applying that knowledge, which actually equals wisdom, uh, on how to live as followers, genuine, sincere followers of Jesus, uh, and then today we were talking about, this is my favorite part, this is, I mean, honestly, I was so excited to speak about this that I, I couldn't really sleep last night because uh, we're talking about what it looks like for us to go. We don't just stay in the walls of the church, uh, but it's important for us to go carry uh, God's word and how we gather and how we grow, how we, and we carry that so others can experience the same hope and healing and joy that we have experienced through understanding, through growing, through gathering in Christ. Uh, and so this morning, uh, we're going to be a little bit all over, but primarily we're going to be in uh, Jeremiah uh, 29. Uh, and for a lot of us who's been around the church for a while, we have uh, read this before. But before we go there, uh, let me just read just real quick uh, in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, this will get, kind of get us started, we'll pray, uh, and then I want to introduce you to some paradigm shifts that I think will help us understand what it looks like uh, for us to, to be people that go, that join God in God's mission uh, to the city, to the world. So uh, we, many of us, I don't want to say all of us, many of us have heard this verse before uh, called the Great Commission. And it simply says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of age. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we can hear from you. God, that we can be reminded that we're, we're a... Uh, people that are, that are called not just to, to sit in our own homes, not just to sit between the walls of a church, but to actually go and be light and be salt to the world. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to join you in what you're doing. Uh, in your name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, and I have been thinking about this word mission, uh, and, all, and a lot of times, especially in my experience as a Christian growing up in youth group, uh, we, and myself, were always taught that to be a Christian, to, to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we must go on a mission. 
or we must go on mission trips. You know, for those of you, again, that have grown up in the church, uh, you are familiar with uh, mission trips. Uh, and, and for myself, as a young child, I would go on mission trip every single year. I would go to uh, Mexico, to Tijuana, to build homes uh, and to share the love of Jesus. And it was an incredible opportunity uh, for me to be a part of that. And not only did I go as a student, but uh, in my earlier years of ministry, I was a youth pastor, uh, and I would lead a yearly mission trip, again, to Mexico, where I would take dozens and dozens of high school students uh, to do the same thing, to build homes or to work on a church or do some kind of service project and come back. And and because uh, what we've understood and what even I've taught and what you've been taught is that to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we must go on these mission trips. And I would say, especially this morning, now I'm not knocking being a missionary or being on mission trips at all. As a matter of fact, uh, I still participate in that. I still participate, you know, just a couple years ago, I went to Rwanda. Uh, You know, a lot of people here go to Costa Rica and Rwanda. There's other partnerships that we have. Uh, But I would say one thing that we miss out on if we understand this idea of going to, to purely going on mission trips uh, oftentimes, we don't have the complete understanding of what it means uh, to be sent out people for Christ. Because oftentimes, we go on these mission trips overseas. We, you know, we, you know, even for myself, we believe that the further away it is, the holier you are, right? So, you know, we've always considered Mexico as kind of a a, a kind of a warm-up to going to a different continent. We've, we've misunderstood what being on mission or being a missionary uh, is all about, uh, so much so that we think about going overseas or to a different continent at the expense of understanding what's happening in our own backyard. What if being on mission isn't simply about going to a different continent, going to a different country or or whatever it is, but being a a missionary or being on mission is about going just outside your front door and seeing what's happening in your neighborhood with your next-door neighbors, with the people at your church. By the way, the kids are singing downstairs, and it's so beautiful. Uh, I love it. Okay, we're back on. And, and so what I believe is that it's time for the church, especially for ourselves, for a paradigm shift. Okay, and the paradigm shift is, is this. We need to stop being a missionary and begin to be a neighbor. Now, this is a bit hyperbolic because I do believe that going on mission trips and going on mission is important. Again, I will probably go on more uh, in the near future. Uh, But what I'm here to say is is I want to focus on a little bit of a paradigm shift that I believe we as the church, not just Bethany West Seattle, but the church universal uh, of what it means to go, to be sent. Uh, And it begins with a paradigm shift. And the paradigm shift is what if we stopped being a missionary and started to become a neighbor? A neighbor. And and all over the scriptures it says uh, to to love one another. Uh, Not just love God, but to love others. And it says particularly love your neighbors as yourself. 
And so for a lot of us, we have to understand uh, that in order to be a neighbor, we have to understand a bit what it looks like and what it means uh, to be a neighbor. What does it mean to be a neighbor? And I believe it is going to require some some movement, some shifts in not just our paradigm, but a little bit of an infrastructure to the paradigm. And the first movement is this. We need to think about, and we're going to unpack this a bit more, but in order for us to actually uh, live into this new paradigm of not just being a missionary, but being a neighbor, first we have to think about uh, this movement from, it's not just going over there, but it's also here. And I would say in parentheses, and it is still about there, but not just only there to a different country, to a different continent, to someplace far, far away, although it is about there. But, but what if being on mission, being faithful to God's calling for us to go into the world to make disciples of all nations, to teach them, to baptize them, what if that started from right here? So there's a movement from thinking about just there to here. And secondly, this, it's a little bit of a language thing, but we're moving uh, away from this language of to to with. We're moving from this idea of we're going to mission to these people. We're going to be a hero or a savior or the fixer to these people. We want to move away from that and say, you know what? I want to be with people. I want to participate with people. And lastly, it's this phrase that, uh, that's been coming into my mind a lot. Is So we're so stuck on, I will do. So when we talk about missions and going out and making disciples, first of all, like, what, what am I going to do? What mission trip am I going to go on? What people am I going to save? What, what kind of work am I going to do? What kind of service am I going to provide? And though that is all part of being sent and going to make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them, I think first and foremost, we have to begin with the question, well, what is God already doing? Let's move away from, I need to do this. I need to be the Savior to let God do the saving. When we read this verse, and I love, and this is where we're going to start, is what does it look like for us to be a people from uh, moving from there to here? And I think it starts, again, from the verses that we read. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority has been given to Jesus. And and what he's saying is he's imparting it on us. So he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what we have to understand, and I've actually taught this before, is that we misunderstand this verse. And I believe because we misunderstand this verse is the reason we end up viewing being sent, going to an event rather than making it our ordinary lives. What I mean by that is it says go, therefore go. And so people read that, and the church has read that for, for hundreds of years and says, okay, the Bible says, all right, now we have to go, so we're going to get on a plane, we're going to get on a boat, whatever it is, we're going to go to this place and be a missionary. And there's nothing wrong with that again, but that's not where I'm going today. But if we look at the original word go, 
Uh, it's this word, porthentes, and, and really it's a, it's a participle. And so uh, for those of you uh, that remember, I have to go back to grammar class, uh, participle is an action word. It's, it's like adding an I-N-G to the end of a word, so it's happening. It's like a verb. And so uh, we talk a lot about language, original language here, because it's important. And so last, last week we talked about what an onomatopoeia is, right? Because in the Jewish uh, language, they use a lot of onomatopoeias. Uh, well, this morning, uh, I want to teach you about a participle. And it's this word, porthentis, which means go, not just go, but going. And, and so many scholars, uh, and I would subscribe to this, is that a better translation uh, of this participle, of this ing, I-N-G, of this verb, is not just go, okay? Not just go to this place, uh, and make disciples of all nations. But what Matthew is saying, this Matthew 28, is going. As you are going, it is happening. It's this participle verb. It's just happening right now. As you are going in your ordinary life, not to this event, not to this trip, but as you are going, make disciples. Baptize people. Teach people about my ways. And so the question for us uh, is, where are you going? And I think this is an important question to ask ourselves is, as you are going, who are your neighbors? As you are going to work, as you are going to school, as you are going to your clubs, as you're going to, you know, uh, parties and, and gatherings or whatever it is, I would venture to ask you uh, and challenge you that it is in those places that God is calling us to be an agent of change, of hope, of joy, be an agent of healing in those places, in your ordinary lives that you already go to. Now, I do believe and still understand this importance of going overseas and being a missionary. I'm not knocking that, but what I believe is so often we focus so much on that at the expense of this. And the expense is our own places where we live, where we have influence, where we know people. Again, in our own neighborhoods. But what if we understood this verse to say, not just go to an event, but what would it look like for us to truly truly care about the places that we already go to, the places that we are going to day by day, every single day of our lives. I think that changes the entire narrative of what it means to be sent to go. And so then we have to read the scriptures uh, in its entirety, Okay, because oftentimes we say, well, there it is. It says go and make disciples of all nations, so I'm going to go. Well, then the question is, what does it look like to make disciples? Meaning other people that subscribe and follow Jesus. What does that look like? What does that mean to baptize them? And what I have to say to you, baptizing isn't just about dunking people in water, but it's the word baptisto means to immerse. And so, therefore, we get baptism. We immerse people or splash them, depending on what your tradition is. Uh, in, in fact, growing up, I grew up Presbyterian. My ordination is through the PCUSA. Uh, and so, we believed in 
you know, splashing. And, and for, for us, we, we full on, we dunk you. We, we immerse you into the water and let all your sin bubbles come out. For some of you, I wait a little bit longer because there's a little bit more bubbles, and then I bring you off. This idea of immersion, what does it look like for us to immerse people in the teachings and the way of Christ? And so it's not just uh, Matthew chapter 28, but it's okay, what is the pattern, what is the narrative, what is the framework all throughout, uh, not just the Old Testament, but the life of Jesus? Well, he says this, as you are going, love your neighbors. I mean, that's a huge part of what it means to be to be on mission, to, to go. And we have to look at Luke chapter 10, where uh, his disciple says, Jesus, what does it mean to be, a, essentially, what does it mean to be reborn? Or what does it mean to be a follower of you? And Jesus simply says, well, there's really two things. It boils down to two things. Love me, all your might, soul, strength, mind. Love me with all that you have, essentially, and Love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. And then throughout the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Beatitudes, he says, the way that you are able to love your neighbor and what that looks like is it's important for you to be salt and light to them. Make, make this thing that you believe, that you follow, uh, attractive. And so the disciple says to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, okay, if the idea of following you requires loving God and loving my neighbor, the disciple says to Jesus, okay, well then what does it look like to love my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, I'm so glad you asked because let me tell you a story because that's the way Jesus answers a lot of the questions. And, and we won't read it, but again, if you're familiar with you know, church and, and if you've grown up in church, we've, we've uh, talked about and you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. So, okay, Jesus, what does it look like? Okay, it's important for me to love you and love others. What does it mean to love others, to love my neighbors? Well, it means this. Well, imagine there was an individual who got beat up, got robbed, and he's laying on the side of the street by himself. He says, okay, uh, imagine this, and imagine all these religious people walking up to him and saying, ooh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you're bleeding, you know, because if I touch you, then I'm unclean. I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to walk away. And, and then another religion, and not only the religious people, but like a priest, a modern day pastor or, or, or a priest would come up and say, ooh, sorry, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to walk away. And, and then he says, lastly, uh, think about a Samaritan person, someone who's considered an outcast, somebody who's on the margins to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to help you. I'm going to carry you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get you all healed up. I'm going to even pay for those expenses. I want to make sure that you and your body is going to be okay and healed, and I'm going to help you do that. And so it goes back to all these connections. Well, it says, go and make disciples. As you are going, teach people, show people about who I am. Well, then the question is, well, how do I do that? Oftentimes, we get mistaken to say the way we do that is to just evangelize, okay? And I'm not knocking evangelism, but we believe that all it's about is going to that place and saying, you need to say this sinner's prayer. 
You need to know about this person, Jesus. And believe me, I do that even to this day. I think there's power in sharing our transformed lives with Jesus. The problem is oftentimes, oftentimes when we think about uh, evangelizing, uh, there's a slippery slope because our evangelism turns into colonialism. Now, that's a strong statement for a lot of us, but what we're doing is we are not going, and we're going to talk about this, we're, we're talking about this us and them. We're talking about uh, we're going to go there. We're going to go to to save them. But Jesus is saying, yes, it's about sharing the hope of the gospel and it's about going to your own neighborhood. It's about going into your ordinary lives. And what it means to be a good neighbor is to look around. Who are the hurt? Who are the broken? Who are the lost, confused, isolated, lonely? Who are the people on the margins? And maybe for a lot of us, as we talk about this idea of we want to move from this going over there mentality and attitude to focusing on here, that's going to require prayer, saying, God, open my eyes. What is going on in the very ordinary places that I go to? What don't I see? Again, in our churches, there's broken people here in the church. Our neighbors are suffering. There's injustices that we see. Just turn on the news. There's violence. There's oppression. There's marginalization. There's racism. There's homelessness. What is our part? And yesterday I went to uh, this conference, a conference of maybe like 50 people, but I tell you what, it's one of the best conferences I've ever been to, and I've been to dozens and dozens, uh, and one of the main speakers, he says this, he says that distance is a privilege that we must surrender. So we have no problem going over there, because once we go there, we do our job, and then we come back. That's not evangelism, that's colonialism. Bringing in our ideas, our things, and saying, this is what you need, okay, see you later. Again, that's a whole different sermon, but that's oftentimes what we do. But if we move from this, this mentality of just being a missionary to being a good neighbor, then we have to ask, what's happening in my own backyard? That's a lot more uh, dangerous of a question. Then we have to remove the distance between you and maybe someone that looks differently than you, maybe someone that uh, has gone through a different type of life than you, maybe someone that's going through a different struggle than you've ever experienced, maybe it's someone that you don't even like, but it's that distance, it's a privilege that even I have, we all have, and it's a distance that we must 
surrender, if we're going to truly understand what it looks like and what it means to go and to make disciples. Because as we go and make disciples, as we are going into our uh, ordinary lives, and and as we uh, serve the people that are broken and to love one another, Are we making the gospel attractive? Are we making it something that people want to be a part of? Because right now, and this isn't, the statement isn't uh, driven by any kind of agenda, but the reality is this. Our faith, Christianity, is becoming uh, a joke to a lot of people. And, And oftentimes for good reason. Oftentimes, what we proclaim as Christianity, other people see as hypocrisy. And so as we are going into our ordinary lives, loving our neighbors, are we making people curious about what is happening? Are we making the gospel, the resurrected Christ, attractive it says, be salt. They use salt to, to make foods more delicious. And, and we know the feeling. We do the same thing. Or are we actually repelling people from the gospel? And so the application here, as we talk about this idea of not just thinking about being sent, going over there, but over here in your own lives, Are you making the message of Christ attractive to your neighbors? How do we do that? Well, Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. It means looking around, walking alongside people that are broken, understanding your own brokenness. It's about seeking the welfare of others. And so then we move into this idea of, of this movement from the language of to to with. And I love uh, these verses. And this is where I'm going to end. But it says, Jeremiah 29, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. Actually, let me just, uh, where are we? To, to, to Babylon. Verse 5, it says, Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there, do not decrease, uh, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare for uh, you will find, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Let me just go back. Let me just talk about this verse just just for a moment here. It says, this is what the Lord said to Israel, to the religious people. Uh, I have carried you into exile. This is the time. This is around 587 B.C., okay? I think 6th century B.C., uh, where there was two kingdoms, and sorry, like you can't really see it, but there's a northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So this, that's modern day, all of Israel. Uh, but back in the 6th century BC, there's two kingdoms. 
uh, in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, they, were, uh, they got sent to captivity uh, by the Assyrians. Judah, uh, in the 6th century, they were taken into slavery, into captivity. Well, it says that God sent them there uh, to Babylon. So Babylon uh, is like modern-day southern Iraq, like just south of Baghdad. Uh, Assyria would be north, like towards Turkey. Uh, so the northern kingdom was, was sent there for their captivity and their sl- enslavement. And the southern kingdom in the 6th century, uh, they were sent uh, to, to Babylon. Now, what you have to understand is this wasn't a pleasant place. Uh, when the Babylonians took the Jews into exile, it wasn't like, here, here's a free vacation. Here, hang out. Here's all the cool things. No, they were slaves to better the economy and the world of the Babylonians. These were considered enemies to the Jews. These were considered people that were on the margins. These were people that were considered that they would never come across. And yet, here in Jeremiah, which I think is an incredible statement and message, God says, I, first of all, you're enslaved in, in, ba- in Babylon. I have sent you there. Now, here's what I want you to do while you are in captivity, while you are being slaves to the Babylonian empire. Here's what I want you to do. Build houses. Settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Essentially, you're not going anywhere. This is your life. I've sent you here. And he says, and this, because later on, you know, it says that there were false prophecies saying that, you know what, you're going to actually leave from that place. And ultimately, that did come true, but there was this timeline where uh, the false prophets would say, okay, this is just temporary. But God is saying, you know what? Settle down. Have families. Then have your families create families. This idea of be with in the place that God has placed you. It's not just about going over there. It's not just about this idea of... uh, being a missionary to, but a way that we can love our neighbors, the way that we can be present, the way that we can be salt and light, is not just thinking about these people that we go to, but God says, be with them, build houses, marry one another, do life with them. Now are we doing that with the people that God has put around us. This idea of two versus with, one is about power, having power. That's two. With is about being incarnational, about being uh, alongside people in their lives and, and knowing what's happening. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your neighborhood? Do you know your church? Do you know your coworkers? wherever God has you, wherever God has placed you, are you with them? And I believe as we continue talking about going and making disciples, that that's the very question we have to answer and we have to come across. What it looks like to be incarnational. What it looks like to go in and be with the people that God has placed around you.
And sometimes uh, loving the people around you, serving the people around you, aren't people that you absolutely love. The Jews, they didn't love the Babylonians. And oftentimes God places you even around people that you don't like, that you dislike, people that are so different from you. And the sin is this. Oftentimes we are stuck in our little homes with the people that look like us, act like us, believe in the same thing as us, and all the rest of the world can just be ignored. But what God is saying and challenging us is when we ask the question, who are our neighbors? Everybody, people around you. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they come from. They are your neighbors. We don't get to choose. And yet oftentimes, that's exactly what we do. We get to choose who we want to do life with. Versus looking at who is God placed in our, in our midst to love and to serve and to do life with. And lastly, it's this. Okay. Well, let me just go back. And lastly, it's this. It's this idea of, it's this idea of I do, moving from I do to this place of God is already doing. And I think that's important for us to understand is that God is already moving in the places that you are. And what God is saying, join me, participate with me in what I am already doing. You don't need to be the hero. And so think about people in your lives like, oh, you know, my family, but they just don't get it. My kids, they just don't get it. These people, they just don't get it. The policies, the political figures, they don't just, they, they, they don't get it. I need to do something. And what God is saying God is already moving in the places where you are. Will you join God in, bring, in being a, a catalyst to joy again in healing and, and drawing people closer to himself? Will you be a catalyst to that? And so as I invite the worship team back up, there's a few things I just want us to think about. Who are your neighbors? Who are the people in your midst And maybe the prayer is, God, open my eyes to see where the brokenness is so I can go in there and I can be an agent of healing and of change, of transformation, knowing that, God, you are already doing something in that neighborhood, in my workplace, on my teams, whatever it is. Believe and know that God is already working and it's our opportunity and our Obligation to participate in in what God is already doing, not our own thing. We're not the heroes of the story. God is. And again, I'm not bashing on being a missionary because I consider myself one. I go on mission trips. I go overseas. I go to different continents and countries. But what if we also had a paradigm shift to say, you know what, it's not just about going over there but it's about understanding what's happening in my own neighborhood where God has me right now. It's a stewardship question. Are you stewarding well where God has you right now? And what good stewardship looks like right now, right where you're at, is to go in and make disciples, teaching people about Christ. Well, how do we do that? It's not just just shoving the Bible down their throat, but it's about loving 
It's about uh, pursuing justice. It's about bringing uh, healing and joy to the places of darkness. It's about living life with people, not just to people. And when we look at the example of Jesus, Jesus was the ultimate exile. Jesus, alongside with God in heaven, on the throne of heaven, came down, Philippians chapter 2, came down to earth, gave up his throne to not just be a human, but to be a human that died on the cross for you and for me. That is the ultimate form of exile. Jesus left. And in John 1, it says, the word became flesh. That's Jesus, became flesh. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation of John chapter 1. It says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood left the kingdom of heaven and moved into our neighborhood? What if we took that example and said, you know what, who are the exiled? We are the exiled. Especially if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we are in exile. Our final destination, ultimately, our, our, our hope is in our salvation and our, our eternity with God. And right now, it's right here. So where does God have you? Who are the people you need to love? Who are the people that are hard to love? Will you love them? Will you serve them? Will you not be like the religious folks in Luke chapter 10 that just walked right on by? That is not being salt. That's not being light. That's not being a good neighbor. They said, what is it like to be a neighbor? Don't be like those religious people, ironically. Be like the Samaritan people that religious people didn't like who came alongside, picked him up wiped the blood off his face became his crush as he was limping brought him to an inn and said I'm going to take care of the charges just rest that is being a good neighbor that is what it looks like for us to go be on mission with what God is already doing. So I have hope in that, that God's already working. Let's just say yes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. That the word, the very word that became flesh, that's you, that came into our lives, that walked this earth to love and to serve share with people what the kingdom looks like. God, may we do the same thing with our lives. May we make you attractive so that people uh, will see and taste that you are good. May we be an agent to that. May we uh, be a catalyst to that, to our neighbors, to the people around us, but also to even our own selves. Thank you that you've allowed us to join you in what you're doing. May we be good stewards of that calling. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.